turn with me to Luke 19. It's the 28th verse. If you do not have a Bible, uh, Joe will be passing a Bible out to you. We are very much proponents of people reading God's Word, whether it's on phone or whether it's on paper. Raise your hand and Joe will bring a Bible to you. If you don't have your own If you do not have your own Bible, please keep this as a gift from us. We want you to be in God's Word so that you can be like Mike. Wasn't there something called be like Mike? Yeah, years ago, be like Mike. Listen to the music of your Heavenly Father and follow his lead. Sorry, I just keep using that. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody else need a Bible? Turn with me to Luke 19. And uh, I'm actually going to read a little farther than what's indicated. Uh, We're going to start with the uh, 29th verse. Why don't we go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word? I think that's appropriate. There'll be a little action coming down here uh, as we're reading, uh, but uh, uh, as we uh, just bring in today's um, uh, vernacular, uh, what they did back then. So let's start reading the 29th verse. As he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on, Mount, on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of him. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owner asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he, was, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like this. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. You may be seated. So the insignificant one that I want to talk about for just a little bit today is the one that's not mentioned in these passages. The one who orchestrated everything behind the scenes. We know this for a few reasons, because Jesus himself was enacting some things uh, that had not only been done hundreds uh, of years before him, thousands of years before him, but also enacting the Father's will in his life. Enacting things that happened thousand years before was the fact that in King David's life, he had a mule that he would ride throughout the city. And he would do this in pomp and circumstance, not just to bring honor to him, but in humility before the God that he served. And it was a sign of great humility. And when his son, Solomon, was uh, coronated to be king of Israel, they said, he said to the priest and to the prophet, put 
Solomon on my mule and lead him throughout the city, proclaiming him to be the king. And it happened. And he was seen as the king of Israel at that time. And so Jesus was enacting the fact that he was in the line of David as he's riding his donkey. But the second thing that he's enacting is that he's also enacting his father's words. For it says in Zechariah 9, 9, and Jesus himself was there when the prophet was inspired to write these words, and he knew them well. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Israel. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so this picture of Jesus not only connecting to the line of David, but also connecting to the will of his Father. And we know that Jesus said, I have come here to do the will of my Father. And so he also understood that the path to victory was the path to humility, that the path would lead to the bruising of his heel in the Old Testament, that the cross and death would be that bruising, and that the victory would be found in crushing the head of the enemy, destroying death through his resurrection. No longer would death have the victory over all humanity as it had through the fall, but through his humility, following his father's will, he would then enact uh, a, a scripture that says, then when our body, dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And yet the title of my message is this, Holy Confusion, A Son Following His Father. Even though Jesus himself was never confused, for he knew his father's will, he was a constant confusion to the religious leaders of his time and even to his own disciples. But if we're honest with ourselves, we also have times in our lives where we're confused. Why is this happening? Why is this going this way? Why is this happening? I define spiritual confusion as this, God moving our lives in a direction that does not make sense to us. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> me too. Absolutely. It, it saddens me sometimes, and I don't know if some of us today are walking into the church for the first time, second time, or you've been here a few times, but you've really not been a part of it. Sometimes, hasn't the church kind of raised itself up as having all the answers and having it all together, and that's sometimes why you haven't felt like you've connected in the church. We do have the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Does it answer every single area of your life that you're walking through in life? No, it doesn't, does it? No, it does not. But he is the answer. But we have to, when we come to these places of confusion... We have to realize that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, he says in Isaiah 55, and my ways are far beyond what you could imagine. 
But how many times uh, we try to put God in the box of our understanding and to develop some kind of sense of peace. We think that we should be experiencing this peace, and so we try to make God out to be something that he's not. And God, amazingly, allows us to stay in the confusion because we need to walk in faith. We need to over, be overcome by his vast wisdom and to surrender our understanding to him. It reminds me of a story that I've recently heard. It said, it goes as this, there once was a man caught in the middle of a horrendous storm. His boat was taken on water and would sink if something didn't happen soon. In his desperation, he cried out to God for help. Help me in this time, Lord, help me. A few minutes later, lightning flashed from the sky and struck the engine, which exploded and started the boat on fire. As the man clung to a piece of floating debris in the of his ship, he cried out, Lord, I called for help, but instead of help, my boat is destroyed. It was within an hour that a merchant ship came sailing out into the area of the wreckage and was able to save the man. After the man was treated for hypothermia and other injuries, the captain of the merchant ship invited him to, to dine with him. As the meal proceeded, the man recounted his story of not only the horrific storm, which the captain knew, but also the events of the day and how he landed in the sea. As he finished speaking, he asked the, the captain this obvious question. In the midst of this horrific storm, how in the world did you find and rescue me? The captain replied, we would have never seen you if your boat hadn't been burning. Sometimes God has to burn the physical so that we can be rescued in the spiritual. Sometimes things have to fall to pieces so that he can show who he really is to us and his great love for us because our eyes were focused on the physical and not on the reality of what was happening. Somebody shared with me today that they have to go uh, tonight and talk with their parents who are unbelievers about the Lord. She said, Pastor, would you pray with me? I said, I would. And I said, but remember this. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against your parents. Your battle is against the authorities, and the rulers of the heavenly realms. So make sure you're suited up well. Make sure that you're prayed up well. Make sure that you trust in the one that's leading to this conversation. The interesting thing is, people of God, that, that we cannot understand this without, it, without walking in the spiritual with the Lord, without allowing him to lead us. Just like Mike cannot know what's going on in music unless the music is in his heart and unless he watches his leader. It can't happen. And it's the same with us. In fact, the Bible says to this in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them and they cannot understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. 
And yet sometimes, if you're honest with me, there's times, even with you who are walking with the Lord, that you'll walk in the flesh and that you'll totally just be in confusion in your life because a circumstance has caused you to go to a place where you say, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? But it's also this. Have you ever been called by God to do something? And in the midst of that call, you determined that it was something foolish. And that by you determined in your own intellect that it was foolish, you thought it would bring dishonor to God. And so why would I do that? People of God, think about that. Oswald Chambers says this, to put my view of his honor ahead of what he's plainly guiding me to do is never right even though it may come from a real desire to prevent him from being put to open shame. It is amazing how we sometimes try to intellectualize God into our own minds. I remember when I had been working for a company for 14 years, and I went to my dad, my wife and I went for dinner, and I said, Dad, I believe God's calling me into youth ministry. Now, I'd been volunteering for 14 years in youth ministry also, but my dad looked at me, who came out of World War II, came out of the Depression, came out of that, my safety and security is in my finances, you get what I'm saying? And he, and, 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 and he said, that seems foolish to me, Wayne. You've got a great job. You've got a great, why would, you, why would you give up that job to get to work in youth ministry? I believe God's calling me. He was not convinced. But it was years later, as I sat in the parking lot of the company I worked for and saw it being torn down, that I realized that if I had not followed God's will, I would have lost my job anyways. He does have our best interests in mind. And he does. In fact, as Jesus and his disciples were coming into Jerusalem, the disciples' thoughts were, we're bringing the king home. He's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. He's going to overcome Rome. And he's going to take Israel. And we're going to rule together on this earth. But the father's thoughts were, I'm bringing my son to the cross to die. You see, the foolishness of the cross is the dividing point between the mind of Christ and the mind of man. To the natural man, someone dying in the place of another is outright foolishness. A man hanging on a tree, a man being in prison today, a man being charged with something uh, that is not something he did and yet being charged and found guilty is a man who's cursed. And it's foolishness. I know one thing about each of us in this room. Either God is calling you right now to walk into something that's foolish or he has called you to walk into the foolish. He wants to put you on the, on the donkey of humility and to say, will you do what I'm calling you to do? Will you follow me? There are three things that you need to know if that's your life. Three things you need to know. Three things Jesus knew as he was on that donkey. First of all, these are areas you're going to be challenged on. The first thing is you're going to be challenged in your identity. 
Who am I? Because living a life outside of Christ, you're answering that question by all your physical activities. I am the job I work at. I am um, the, the husband or the wife. I am the, 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 the world answers this question. But if you walk into the foolishness of what God is calling you, the confusion of pulling yourself away from this world and living for the one who created it, you're going to have to know who you are. The Bible says this in 1 John 2, 6, says those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. As Jesus did. How did he? In the will of the Father, knowing he was following his Father no matter what the cost. I have a question for you. Are you faithful more to the idea that you have of Jesus or are you faithful to Jesus himself? There are people who like to be religious. They like to be saved by Jesus. But you know what? He's your Lord if he's truly your Savior. He's your Lord. That means he gets the opportunity to tell you where to go, what to do, and yes, how high to jump. He does. Because I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Amen? Amen. When I was called to North Holland, my first answer was no. I love the neighborhood we're in. If you live in this neighborhood, I have loved your neighborhood for over 30 years. I love this neighborhood. I didn't want to leave it. I wanted to go to Holland. And so my answer when I got a phone call was, Mm-mm, I'm not going. And then I heard a voice say, I thought you said your life was mine. Well, there are holes said, yes, I will. And I'm glad he did because you know what? Guess what? I had to lose what he gave me in this neighborhood so that I could gain it back. I had to. I had to. So second thing you need to know. You'll be challenged with your view of the Father. Thank you, um, Ryan, for that song. He's a good, good father. We need to be reminded of that. It's interesting. Jesus did a teaching on prayer. If you take prayer seriously, you're going to understand that prayer is literally a war room. It's a war. In fact, I think there was a movie called that. But it's, it's a war room because when you get on your knees, there's an immediate battle, spiritual battle that goes on. There's one who does not want you praying. Amen? And he will like throw you through all kinds of confusion. And there's another one who's drawing you to pray and saying, I want intimacy with you. It's a war. And the enemy is going to try to tell you that the Father's not good. So stop praying. Um, turn with me. Keep your finger in 19, but turn with me to uh, uh, Luke uh, chapter 11. It's the teaching on prayer. And I want to go through both of these illustrations with you. And just draw them out a little bit, just to, uh, just to kind of encourage you, I pray. So Jesus is teaching on praying, chapter 11, and then it says that, in verse 5, it says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. I love the way Jesus uses stories because it gives us pictures in our mind. He said, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. 
You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will give up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Love that. Why does a person become shameless in their persistence for the Father? This is a picture of the Father. He's viewed as, um, as an unnatural, unkind Father. That's the picture Jesus is giving you. He's really pointing to the Father. That somehow he's shrouded and uncaring. And yet he's not. But how many times, come on people, how many times haven't we think God has been unkind? We're going through something. He doesn't seem to be giving us what we need. And you're going, why? Come on. A little honesty in church. I have. I have. Not always. Sometimes, but not always. Sometimes ask with the right motives and you don't get an answer right away. It's true. It's true. And so... And so it's, it's, um, it, it's this confusion that comes in our relationship with the Lord because he knows what we need better than we know what we need ourselves. It was, it was uh, 2019, and um, we, were, um, we, were, we were starting to grow as a church, and we were up to about 140 people. And the leadership started saying, God, do you have a building for us? And we actually toured a building. We were moving forward saying, okay, God, do you have a building for us? And he shut the door. And I have to be honest with you, I was a little upset. Because we want, you know, we want to see this grow. We believe that God may get us a building and stuff. And then March of 2020 happened. And COVID hit. And I was so thankful we didn't have a building. You see, in the midst of spiritual confusion, God knows us. He knows what we need, and he loves us with all his heart. I want to read from, don't go there with me, I want to read from Lamentations 3. Listen to 7 through 9. Just listen to these words. He has walled me in, and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. Can anybody hear those words? Today. Yeah. But then I want to go on. Listen to these words. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget the awful time as I grieved over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. When I don't get what I want on my earth, on this earth, my hope is in him. And so you're going to be challenged with your identity as you walk forward into what seems foolish. You'll be challenged with your view of God. 
in times. Also, he will feel like he is not only an unnatural, unnatural friendship, but an unnatural God who does not give me what I need. I think of the Psalm 13, it says, How long, how long, O Lord, will I suffer and wrestle with these thoughts of mine? How long will my enemy say I have prevailed over him? Man, I get that. And yet the psalmist ends with these words, But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. The third thing you're going to be challenged with is this. Your view, uh, the view of your attitude. The view of your attitude. John 12 is a verse that God gave to me about this. And he is, some Greeks come and visit him. And Jesus replies, now is the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it will remain alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for this life in this world will keep it for all eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came, Father, to bring glory to your name. The attitude of my life is to bring glory to God is the attitude that is going to be challenged at the foot of spiritual confusion and of, of foolishness. You saw the palm branches come down forward here, and uh, we were reminded of the fact that there were people that waved palm branches at the day that Jesus came in on a donkey, and they proclaimed him. What did they say? What did they say? Go ahead. Blessed be the name, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was within that same week that they were saying what? Crucify him. Crucify him. That's right. You see, Jesus knew that this would happen. Jesus knew what was coming. But he kept on the road on the donkey. He didn't let the pain of the journey stop him from taking the journey. He didn't let the physical foolishness in front of him stop him from walking into the spiritual truth that he knew his father wanted to. And that's the th same thing we need to know today. Don't let the physical dictate what's foolish. But keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep his music in your heart. He was never confused about his father's will. And yet, he was a great confusion to all, of, all around him. God is calling you not to please men, but to please God by living out the life he's calling you to. For us, there's going to be times of confusion. Yes, there is. Some of you are being called right now. Remember who you are. Remember that your father is faithful. And keep your attitude on I will give glory to God with my life. And I will guarantee you this. He will lead you down the path that he's called you to. Your life will become a shining light to the world. You aren't going to get it all. You're not going to get it all. Just keep walking. Just keep trusting. Just keep following. 
and he is faithful to his followers. Amen? Stand with me as we end in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the pictures that you have put in front of our face today, even in our own drummer, that, Father, we are called into a very confused world. And even in our own lives, there's confusion. There's things that have happened that have hurt us, things that we have gone through that, that have been painful, that we have wondered if you're truly a good, good Father. And yet, Lord, uh, your own Son, knowing what your will was, knowing the direction that he was called to go, continue to ride that donkey into Jerusalem. Father in heaven, it is my prayer that you leave a picture in each one of our hearts of a, of a father who has set us each on a colt of a donkey in the very humility of that, and you're calling us to walk a path. For some of us, that means we need to receive you as Lord and Savior today. We need to look honestly at our sins. We need to look honestly at our lives. We need to realize we've been guiding our lives completely in the wrong direction and that you truly are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through you, and you are the one. That, Lord, if we, if we believe in our heart that you died for us and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we confess it with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you promise us you'll save us. And so, Father, I pray that for some others of us, we have been pushing back at you in something that seems foolish. And we have been resisting it because we can't see on the other side of it. And so, Father, I pray for that person, those people today, that you will show them that you're a good father. And that, Lord, may they know who they are in you. And may they, Lord, have an attitude of, no matter what the outcome is, I will give you glory. And I pray for their lives. Lord, you're amazing. Thank you for loving us. Guide us now and direct us in the name of your son, the one who gave his life so we have the privilege and honor of giving our life back as an offering to you. We lift him up in him alone. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.